Welcome to an encore presentation of Compassion Radio. If you're like me, you probably struggled a bit at choosing the right gifts at Christmas time. Maybe you bought your loved ones a book or two. Maybe even one that you love and hope that they would too. But what if you were guaranteed they'd love the book you gave because they've been asking for a copy for years? Well, that kind of Christmas is happening all over the world when people who got found by Jesus find out that he's written a special book just for them and they desire to read it. Desperately so. Once again, I was recently dropped into just such a situation with a dear friend of mine and a great partner to this ministry. We'll get you the latest on that story beginning right now. Thanks for tuning our way today. On Compassion Radio, we've got our good friend, John Podiati, back with us. John, thank you for joining me on the air. Great to be here with you, Bram. Now, it's going to be a little bit of a rough recording for both of us. One, because I'm just getting over the flu. And you, because you're on a very distant microphone in India right now. But it was important for us to get this conversation up on the air. So I beg some indulgence from our listeners today. But first of all, tell me about your trip recently. Since you and I were together about a month ago, you've been doing a lot of stuff. Fill me in. Wow, yeah, it has been a busy time uh, since we were together. Uh, been traveling around India, spent a lot of time, even through the Christmas holidays, uh, staying in touch with the uh, national church, with the indigenous churches here. Had a wonderful time over Christmas. We spent Christmas Day, actually, with the Métis Unreached People Group. The Métis. Yes, and uh, by God's grace, we have been able to plant 17 churches among these people. Awesome. They've been facing a little bit of resistance and difficulties, and so we uh, spent the time encouraging them in their ministry and their work. Now, when we talk about unreached people groups in the countries where you work, how many of them are left out there that you actually have a chance to reach in this generation? Well, there's uh, still quite a few that are within reach. Um, we've had work among a number of them for some years, like the Métis and then other groups that we've also been working with in Tripura. And so I'd say there's at least 15, 20 that are within reach of our pastors and missionaries and evangelists. Awesome. And when we say on reach, we're really talking about brand new language groups to translate the Bible into for the first time and preach the gospel for the first time amongst people who have never heard the story at all. So how far into this project with the Métis are you? Uh, Métis we've been working at for quite a long time, but it's a very difficult people group. They, as an entire people group, adopted Hinduism mm -hmm. about 600 years ago. And, you know, on a decree of their Maharaja, of their king, the entire people group adopted Hinduism. Um, it's a very difficult one because not only do they adopt Hinduism, but they all became Brahmin. Hmm. And so our people, being primarily from the Mar tribe and neighboring tribes that have been reaching out to them, have had difficulty because we're tribal, we're actually out of the system, outcasts as it were, and so we're not even allowed to come into their houses or step even on their verandas, on their front porches, and talk with them because of they are all Brahmin. And so this is some barriers to being able to share the gospel with them. It's been a long process, but um, as I said, by God's grace now, we've been able to plant 17 churches and see the fruits of the work here in recent years. 
Now, when you say you've actually managed to plant churches, that means establishing fellowships that are worshiping together. So obviously you overcame some of those obstacles to build relationship. Is it so far as to be able to worship together in the same facilities? Are your people from your tribe reaching out to them now able to function within the same space? Or is it still a vast distance culturally and morally, as far as they see it, that keeps you apart even while the gospel is going forth? How do you work together now? Well, now that they are followers of Christ, we can all meet together in the same church building, in the home, wherever it may be. But it was before they became followers of Christ that we had to maintain that distance according to the social norms of the caste system. So how did it first break through? Give me an example of one of those connections where you finally saw something happen. The light went on and the gospel was heard and understood. We've been able to do this through outreach that not in their homes. In earlier times, our people could do some types of street evangelism or open preaching and share the gospel in that way. We've also reached out with medical camps, which give us that opportunity. If the community allows, we set up a prayer tent. Anybody who would like to be prayed for, we'll ask them, and if they they do want to be prayed for, we'll be able to do that. And that gives us a time to share with the gospel with them. So they build a friendship right there on the street corners. How long has that been happening, the actual connection to say there are believers that you know of in the Mate community? Um, There were some early believers, I would say going back probably about 40 years, but very, very sparse. And then it slowly picked up. I would say, though, that now they're reaching um, in tens of thousands believers total among the people group. Awesome. And how many in the people group total? There are 1.8 million in this people group. So 10,000 towards 1.8 million is about maybe one-tenth of one percent. So you're getting there. And that's actually a registered level of penetration, they would say, into a culture to say that you've actually gotten numbers behind it. How long before you think they're actually becoming a more saturated kind of culture where they are all at least familiar with the gospel or those who are worshiping Jesus? Oh, that's hard to project when you see the work, you know, how slowly it's been going, especially at the onset. But, you know, we do see things picking up, especially with the younger generation, and that's very encouraging. Good news. As there are in Asian cultures, there's a lot of respect for the elders, for the previous generation, the older generation. And so often we see the type of thing that we see, you know, that Jesus encountered where the man kind of acknowledges the truth of what Jesus was saying. But he said, you know, let me go and bury my father first. And, you know, that person that said that, it wasn't that his father was sick or on his deathbed. It meant, well, let that generation pass, and then I'll become a follower of you. Which could be a few years. Yes, and it could be many years. But we see that type of response often. It's kind of like, okay, later, after that generation passes, then I can consider it. But for now, out of respect to my father, my mother, my family, you know, I can't do this. And we've seen this even among doctors who come and serve at our hospital that come in in our facilities, bring patients there, do surgeries, things like that, that we'll use this anytime we can as an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And that's sort of the response. uh, You know, I can think of one very specifically just said, you know, okay, I understand. I really appreciate it, but just let that generation pass. We're talking with John Podiati of Bibles for the World. And right now, John is sitting in India, getting ready for another jaunt to the parts of northern India and then back to the States in a few days. 
And you've been cramming an awful lot of travel, John, in the past few weeks into all the different areas we've been talking about and now reaching out to people groups, showing more of the territory that your worshiping congregations are actually focused on now that are growing and booming now in that part of India, mm-hmm. south of China. So more people are beginning to come in from the West to see what God's been up to for the past generation. And that's been encouraging for us out here to see so much good stuff happening and so much good stuff coming from that part of India. It's a little tiny corner. Mm -hmm. We tuck up there next to Burma and China and Nepal and the other Himalayan countries above there. If you didn't have a reason to go there, you probably would never have heard of it. And now God's bringing the gospel to all of Asia, Central America, South America, all parts of the world. A hundred countries or more are being reached because of the work that was started there with your dad's translation efforts to bring the gospel to his tribe, which is yours. Mm-hmm. We get to watch that happen this generation. I'm thrilled to be part of that story with you and be able to watch some of it happen. And someday, Sandy and I have a chance to walk those streets with you and meet those people that are so dear to you. Um, I want to hopscotch right now back across to the east side of the continent. You and I got the chance to step into a country that both of us had never been to before, and which kind of surprised me that you had not been there. But the doors were suddenly open for us to travel together to see what God was doing in Vietnam. And I want you to frame it in your own words, what you think was expected of you when you went there, and how God surprised you in that week we spent together. Well, I think we're to start on that. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting because we went there um, accompanying a ministry that we had done some work with previously, had been supporting their work with scriptures to go alongside some of their outreach efforts. And it was uh, really unsure what was going to happen, even down to the last minute. Being as they are in Vietnam, the government doesn't give permission for events uh, too much in advance. And so we weren't sure if the events would come off. But uh, by God's grace, uh, the two events came together. One was a Christmas festival in Ho Chi Minh City, formerly known as Saigon. And the second was another Christmas festival up in Hanoi, which is the capital of Vietnam. So we were there ready to provide scriptures uh, to the new believers that would come out of these events. And we were able to do that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to go into a project like that, go into a country like that, not quite knowing what you're going to be able to do, what right. will be allowed and what will not be allowed, but just keep forging ahead and trying to make it happen. And if there are the opportunities to be able to do that. In the end, it really did work out well in Ho Chi Minh City. There was a Christmas festival that was attended by over 15,000 people. Indeed. It was in a con- Constant rain, drizzling rain, but the people sat all the way through the program, and when it was over, at least 600 to 800 came forward to receive Christ, and that was just amazing to see. And the event you're talking about here, a couple of distinctives jumped out to me when I was there. One was that they had never allowed in communist Vietnam an opportunity for Christians to do anything open air, period. It always has to be in a closed facility that they could monitor very closely and have informers on hand be able to give documentation of all the things that happened and know all the people who were involved. When you go outdoors, of course, things are a lot less controlled. But these were not only permitted, they were actually sanctioned by the city and national governments to say, yes, please go ahead. Frame it in the terms of Christmas because the society has adopted Christmas as a secular holiday. And they celebrate all across the country. We saw Christmas decorations everywhere we went. It was even more Christmassy, I think, in Vietnam than I've ever seen in America. The only place I think it rivaled it was probably China. So it was almost a Twilight Zone experience for me to step into Christmasville in Vietnam. 
and then to be told it was okay to get out there and tell the story that's behind this celebration. And that's where the evangelists and the outreach ministries that were coming together started from. Let's explain why we're having this holiday and the power and the person behind it. And that blew my mind that the government would not just be tolerant of or turn the other cheek or turn their eyes away from it, but that they would actually come up to it and say, can we be part of this? Can we join you in enjoying this celebration together and learn more about it? Yes, exactly. As we continue our outreach to Asia in 2023, our project with our partner Bibles for the World is to provide more copies of the Gospel of John for new believers especially where the doors to the gospel are currently standing wide open, like right now in Vietnam and in Mongolia. Growing Christians in these countries also face a critical shortage of New Testaments and full study Bibles. Can you imagine Bible study leaders and pastors without a Bible to teach from? Well, neither can we. You probably have more than one yourself in a language that you understand. Let's help build the kingdom, one copy of God's Word and one faithful follower of Christ at a time. You can support the project online right now at CompassionRadio.com. You can also call us at 1-800-868-2478 or send your gift of support by check to Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. What better time of the year to consider giving the gift of God's Word than the week we consider the price Jesus paid to bring that Word to life in us? Thank you so much, friends. And now, back to my discussion with John Podiety, president of Bibles for the World. It's not at all what I expected going to Vietnam. And at the same time, we have to be very careful. And we have to really do it according to what they allow and don't allow. And so there were, um, at the first event, we were not allowed to publicly distribute the scriptures. But we could pass them through the local partners, and they would get them to them as they took down the names and addresses of all those who did accept Christ. At that first event, at the second event, it was actually a little more open that we could distribute them, though they had to be distributed in bags mm-hmm. and not uh, you know, handed out openly. And that was uh, what was acceptable. And so, you know, we follow along what they allow us to do, just keep getting God's Word out there into the hands of those who who want to know him and to know him better by reading his word. Now, you as a Bible distribution organization, and of course we know you in the West as Bibles for the World, a 501c3 based in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it gives the opportunity for many Western denominations and individuals to contribute to provide Bibles whenever there's an opportunity to bring them to places that they have not been before. You help people make friends along the way. You make relationships happen. You provide for safe places for organizations to work together. And you also work with production houses in those countries as often as possible to produce the Bibles in the countries where they're going to be used. So you're constantly networking. And in this trip, I sat down and watched you network with at least four or five major organizations who all had a plan, all had a history, and all had different angles on how they were going to help serve the church that was growing there. And they all had different needs, And somehow Bibles for the World was stepping in to say, yes, we can handle this for you. We can do this for that other person. Whatever God provides for us, we'll be able to apply to this other organization. You found a way to be useful to everybody that I saw you talk to. So that seems to be kind of a distinctive of Bibles for the World. You pick up whatever's left over to pick up that someone else has not already said, I'll take care of. You're that kind of enabler ministry where you help those who really do want to reach their countries find a way to do it. 
That's right, Bram. We try to enable, we try to equip. We also try to get the body of Christ as a whole to cooperate hmm. and to work together in unison in all the parts of the body. Everyone really, as a follower of Christ, really wants to reach out with God's Word, with the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And we have to try to help them, especially around public events, to do that in cooperative ways where we are much stronger if they're unified working together, especially in countries like this where Christians are a small minority. I mean, even estimated was, uh, you know, less than 2% believers in the entire country. That small body of Christ needs to work together if we're going to make progress getting the message of Jesus Christ out there. So that's the role we try to play in seeing links. And since we come in from outside, as it were, we are able to do that and see, okay, these people are doing this, this sincere effort over here. These people seem to be solid. Um, let's try to get them working together. Let's see how we can use some of their resources or, or things that are available to them to, to come together. Let's put these people together. That's part of what I love doing when we go into these countries, as we've been doing for many, many years. And when you talk about 2% in Vietnam, I was kind of surprised to realize that Vietnam is a very populous country and growing very fast, much like China was doing back in the 90s and 2000s. You've got a country that's maybe 50 miles wide and about 1,000 miles long, and yet they've got like 100 million people already. So they're one of the most populous nations on earth now. And they're also a booming economy. They're becoming one of the Asian tigers that's producing much of what we see in our stores all across our nation now is being sublet out even through China to Vietnam to manufacture. And the quality of their manufacturing and their education, their society in general is jumping up very fast. So they're going to be a force to reckon with economically in the years to come. But 2% doesn't sound that big. But when you look at a country of 100 million or more people, that's a good 2 million people that are already worshiping Jesus that are known by the government to be faithful followers, faithful attenders at church, and involved with Christian fellowships all across our country. They know they've got a large group of people to contend with here, and they've decided, it seems recently, to not persecute anymore objectively. They decided that it was time to accommodate and find a way to manage what's happening in the country and not see an enemy on every fence post, so to speak. They're looking at the opportunity to have a kind of a detente with Christianity in their country and provide new opportunities for new relationships and be more fair and more just. And that really is a truly huge answer to prayer for many Christian denominations that have wanted to see the church flourish and not be persecuted there anymore. And it's in kind of direct contrast to what's happening right now in China. China seems to be going through a whole new crackdown recently. What is your estimation, John, on what's going to happen in the near future for the Christians in China and for the opportunity to help supply and equip the church there? As far as China, that's that's tough to say because, you know, the country is still so much under this COVID lockdown. Right. And the government is using that to really restrict movement inside the country and from those of us from outside to come in and see what's going on. And I'm sure that it is having a major effect. There was already things that were being put in place and the monitoring has just increased in the name of, you know, COVID tracking, contact tracking and all of that. We're seeing that happen in not only in China, but India and, and some other countries here in Asia. So that gives uh, the government more information on how things are moving around. But, you know, coming back to Vietnam, yes, we saw what was explained to us as the government trying less to, quote unquote, control Christianity. And now 
trying to learn how to manage it and understand it better and in that way keep control on it. What they are most concerned about is a term that came up is the foreign factor. Mm-hmm. And how much there's foreign influence in what's going on and how much is really happening indigenously. And that's where we try to come alongside and we just want to empower the local body of Christ, whether from the larger denominations or from the independent churches or, or, or house churches, as it were, and just empower them and equip them with God's word. And let it be done without a quote-unquote foreign factor. Let it be the people themselves using resources that are available to them that are legally printed within the country. All of the scriptures we used and will be using in our upcoming outreach in March 2023 in in Ho Chi Minh City are printed in the country and are printed uh, with the seal of the Vietnamese government, fully registered and permitted by the government. We try to work legally and put those in the hands of the people, of the local people, of the indigenous people, to reach out to their own fellow Vietnamese. And one of the reasons why it's distinctive for you at Bibles for the World to be a front door organization is that You don't want to put more weight on the shoulders of those who have to bear the responsibility to continue to build the church in those countries by being someone who is looked at as an enemy of the state, as being somebody who's trying to undermine the authority of any government. So you try to be as clear and concise as possible, but circumspect as well. You're not trying to give away all of your ideas, but that the government knows you're there, and therefore you're not putting people in danger for knowing you. You're legally there and present, but being very respectful along the way to make sure the government doesn't have a reason or a need to go prove a point by driving it home to you or to the people you serve that they're the ones in charge. You actually build friendships with people who would normally be seen as enemies of the faith. And that's something that I thought was really distinctive about the way you relate to people personally as you travel in these countries and the way you're received. You're respected for being somebody who's a straight talker. I think it's important in this day and age, with as much surveillance as is possible now, and is going to continue to be used by totalitarian states, to not endanger people by our first impressions, by the way we treat our freedoms when we go to visit their countries, but we help build opportunities for them to relax into freedoms and to allow the church to tell them what they need and what they're about, rather than defining it by the negatives. And that's something I think is going to become more and more evident to most Bible placement agencies in the years to come, how necessary it's going to be to be above board. And most governments, I think, are pressing that way to say, we just need to know what you're up to. Therefore, we can decide whether or not it's appropriate. And we need to have a say in this because, hey, it's our country and you're here as guests. And so you started that Mm -hmm. ethic, you know, 40 or 50 years ago, which I think is something that was kind of ahead of the curve. That's what dad always said. When he completed a translation of God's Word into our tribal language, and then God gave him the vision to share his Word around the world through Bibles for the World, he always said, this is the book of the King of Kings. I'm going to take it in through the front door, not through the back door or the side door. And so we would only distribute scriptures where we could do it legally mm-hmm. with uh, permission from the government and respecting those governments and also giving highest respect to this is God's word. This is the book of the King of Kings. And uh, if we're going to you know, bring it in through the side door, you know, we don't want to besmirch that in any way. Let them respect it for what it is. Let's hold it up high and say, this is, this is what we want to share. This is a book that transformed our culture, and we wanted to bring 
all the good that it can bring to yours as well. And when you make a decision like that, it kind of focuses your faith in a certain way, because now you're praying prayers like, God, it's up to you now to make the door open for us. We feel in our hearts that your spirit wants us to go to this country or to this people group, but we don't have an opening yet. And you've told us we're not to be the ones to smuggle. We're there to present at the highest levels respect. So you're going to have to make a way for us to make this happen because we can't force that door open. Your spirit's got to make that move. Exactly. Those kind of prayers are different than those who are called, I think, to be spies for hope, so to speak. And there are plenty of other organizations that I do respect that have been part of a historical outreach where they were forbidden to go, but God said, go anyway, take the risk, and be part of it. We've been part of those organizations, too. It's just different in the calling that you have. So I'm not besmirching the integrity of other groups that have a different plan or that feel called in a certain way to go a different direction or work in other parts of the world. But in your case, there weren't many other people that were willing to walk up to the gate and bang on the door and say, hey, we're here for something special, and you and I need to talk. And that's the way you guys live. So... I think you're kind of in a special place in that regard. Yes, and you know, along the way, we find those who are working, who live and work in those countries of similar mindset, and those become very good partners for us longer term. That's what we like to see. And those are people that we can work with, continue to provide scriptures to. Even if we don't go back into the country, we know we've got people of integrity, people like-minded, and people that are just anxious to share God's word, to share the gospel. My thanks again to John Podiety of Bibles for the World. Our growing partnership with this wonderful organization means unprecedented opportunities to make a world of difference in the lives of new believers in dozens of countries. Many of those Bibles are needed right now in Vietnam as the door stands wide open to serve the church there. Call 1-800-868-2478 and note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877 and jump in anytime at CompassionRadio.com.